Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and I'm here today with a wonderful group of people. We are reading Gardens of the Moon together. So we'll go ahead and go around the around the room. And if you could just introduce yourself and tell us how many times you've read the series, if any, or how many times you've tried to read it. So Layla, you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, my name is Layla Goshi. Um, I, uh, I teach literature and um, I've been wanting to read uh, Malazan, Malazan for quite a while. I did try two other times to read Gardens of the Moon. Um, I think uh, it wasn't so much the book as my ability to focus. I think that was it. Um, but I think it helped me uh, the third the turn, third time I started because I recognized certain characters that I'd encountered already. So, um, but overall, it's it was a great experience, a great reading experience. Okay, hi everyone. My name's Ursi. My channel is called Circe's Books, where I just talk about all different kinds of books. I love reading everything. Um, and this is my first time reading this one. Um, and it is an experience for sure. <laughs> um, so I actually have a background in um, humanities and history and all that kind of stuff and education. So I was really surprised with the struggle <laughs> with this one, but I mean, it's, 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 it's not so bad. It's just, it's just mm -hmm. a lot. So, but yeah, this is my first time reading this one. So it's very interesting. Um, I'm just excited to talk to you all about it. So. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is Joseph Carroll. Uh, I'm an author, just a general member of the booktube community. I like to support, you know, great people, uh, you know, helping people read and learn, you know, stuff in general. The, this is my second time reading Gardens of the Moon. Um, I'm actually like four books in, but I came back uh, to kind of refresh because there's so much that goes on in this first book. So I wanted to go back through it and make sure I, you know, had everything as straight as you possibly can. Okay, I'm, I'm Philip, and I read this series for the first time. I, I don't actually know exactly when, probably around six years ago, I'm guessing. It was before I knew about BookTube anyway. And so I read the series on my own and knew that I wanted to reread it. So one of the big things I wanted to do when I started a channel was to do a Malazan reread. And I'm, I've been very fortunate in that I have been doing this reread alongside my friend, A.P. Canavan, who is, uh, he has the channel, A Critical Dragon. And uh, he also happens to be the advanced reader for Steven Erickson and Ian Esselmont. And he's, don't tell him I said this, but he's brilliant. So, <laughs> so uh, he, it's been a lot of fun for me to read the series alongside him and learn from him. And uh, we've had a great time discussing the series over the last, we're not quite done. Uh, actually, I'm in book nine uh, right now, uh, Dust of Dreams. And I'll, I'm almost done with it, actually. So AP and I will be finishing our Malazan reread because it's a reread for him too, uh, very soon, uh, probably yeah, a month or so, you know, give or take. So, uh, but yeah. So and thank you, Steve, for having us all here. It's really a, a privilege and a joy to be here with everybody. Yeah. Um, so I am Yuli. Um, I also have a channel, Yuli Reads. Um, this is the first time that I tried Malazan, and actually, a year ago, I made a video of books or series that I would never touch. And Malazan was on that list. 
because I just heard how difficult it was and that you had to reread it to understand stuff, that it took until book six until you had an idea what was going on. And that just didn't really sound like a lot of fun to me. So I was very hesitant to pick it up. But then Steve announced the read-along and I thought, well, if I'm going to read it someday, it's best to read it with other people so we can discuss it and I can understand a little bit better. And I was actually pleasantly surprised that I understood something and that it wasn't as difficult as some people say it is. But at the other hand, I'm very glad that a lot of people warned me because that made me go in with the right expectations, I think. And when I didn't understood something, I didn't immediately feel like it was my fault. Everybody was going through that, so it was fine. But yeah, I'm very glad that we are doing this read long and that I understood something. So, <laughs> and we had, we had talked a little bit before we went live, but I, in reading this, I wondered if if the the portions that I struggled with, if I would have struggled had I not been told so many times this is a really difficult book to read. I wonder mm -hmm. if I would have had a different approach and not not um, struggled with it as much as I did, having not known anything about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't forget to break the ice a little bit. <laughs> I, you know, I had that feeling too, uh, as I did start reading it, you know, the first two times, um, because there's so much that comes at us, you know, in different books that we want to read. And, um, uh, but, you know, even about four chapters in when I, I just started recognizing um, how I enjoyed the description of the characters. I didn't know where it was going yet, but I really began to be attached to the characters and the little subtle details that were starting to, you know, be provided to us. And so I think I, once I was in, I did get hooked uh, pretty soon. So I think, um, yeah, I think another, we need another narrative now on, you know, Malazan is not as hard as everyone has made it to. So. <laughs> All right, may, may I ask, am I pronouncing that correctly? Malazan? Um, it, it's, I, it's fine, however you say it, but I believe mm -hmm. the way Erickson would say is Malazan. So the Malazan, Malazan. Yeah, Malazan, Malazan, Malazan Book of the Fallen, uh, it's, it's named after the island of Malaz. So it's just the adjective oh. for Malazan, mm. yeah. Okay. Like Rome, Roman. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that um, this book series has been helped immensely by uh, BookTube. And, uh, you know, Philip has been one of the, the top top guys. You know, I don't want to, you know, get your ego going there. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it, it's made it so much more accessible because you have people to fall back on to help you kind of get through it. Because if you're not used to this, you know, this epic scope and so many POVs and, you know, you, you might get lost in it and it might, you know, deter you a little bit, but, you know, through Philip and other people kind of telling you that, you know, this is how, this is, you know, what to expect and doing a lot of spoiler free stuff. Mm -hmm. um it helps so much when you want because you know you hear so much about it you want to go into it and you know if you were just out in the dark by yourself and you just pick the book up you might not you know be able to go through it because it you know it's not the easiest it's not the easiest book to read but uh that's why i love having everybody here 
and you know we can all kind of help each other understand parts where we're like what was this about you know yeah for sure i I just noticed that bailey books and sport made a comment in the chat that i want to agree with about iskar jarek who really is sort of i think of him as like the 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 grandfather of Malaz Tube and, and he had this channel where he he kind of there I'm sure there were others on BookTube talking about the series before him but he really just got the ball rolling and encouraged a lot of people uh, like myself and, and many others to uh, make videos on the series so what you're talking about uh, Joe is uh, really thanks to Iskar in large part I think so yeah so I had a very interesting experience with this one in terms of the approachability of it. Um, so I'm really glad for all of the forewarnings that mm-hmm. I got because I, I was kind of in the right headspace to read it. And um, so I did start it and then I got about 200 pages in and then I had to buy the audiobook to help me <laughs> get through it. And then I started over with the audiobook and reading it at the same time. And it was just like this hyper focus that I needed to have to read it because it just reminded me of like the Song of Ice and Fire with all these different POVs coming at you. And like, that's one of my favorite series. Like, I love that series. And I'm one of those people that you can ask me and I'd be like, well, this ties in here and this ties in there and this, you know, with that series. And I can see it being the same way only on like a really grander scale, you know, with this one. And so I think it's going to be one of those things where this is one of those books that I'm going to have to reread um, to understand it more. Um, Not that I didn't understand it because I did, but for what I can grasp, <laughs> but um, it just to be able to like talk about it is going to be one of those things where it's really complex mm-hmm. and you're going to have to just pick apart like really small storylines to talk about and not like this grander um, thing that you can do with like a lot of other books. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really complex and I like that about it, but it's, I, I, I just struggle with the approachability of it. Like, I really do believe it's not for everyone just because of how complex it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I also struggled a little bit, especially in the beginning, because you have, in each chapter, you have different POVs. And he switches between them without really announcing like it. And you do have mm-hmm. that in some other books as well. But then usually those people are of the same party. So at the very least, they are in the same scene at that moment. But here, they were just scattered across the plane, and all of a sudden, you were with somebody else. And in the beginning, I really needed to focus and sometimes go back a couple of sentences because I didn't really realize that it shifted. But if you continue reading, and because I knew that this was a little bit difficult for everybody, I just continued, and then you get used to that mindset, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, I will definitely have to reread the end because then everybody got together, and I couldn't really remember anymore, okay, who said what about this certain thing, for example, and I had to go back, like, who, who knows what? So I think that I don't have to read it. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited to do so, but I, especially before we get into the second book, I think. If it's a trilogy, it's fine. If you just have, like, the overall picture and, okay, we go to the second book. But for a 10-book series, I think that your, like, fundamental knowledge of the first book and of the beginning needs to be better than what I have at this point. 
So I, I think a lot of the, um, I agree with all, everyone so far in terms of, uh, it's, it can be, it can feel daunting uh, in, mm -hmm. in the sense that like a lot of other big epic fantasy series, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of places and a lot of uh, names to get used to. Uh, so it does have that in common with a lot of uh, other big series that we can talk about. You mentioned the Song of Ice and Fire, we can talk about Wheel of Time, we could talk about any of the big ones or even some of the trilogies. There's just a lot of, you know, weird names and, and, and different places and things to get used to. So there is that. But I think another thing about Malazan is that Erickson and, and also his co-creator, Esselmont, they don't follow the typical narrative in that you don't have a central character or even a group of central characters that we follow along with that they're the heroes and, and we're going to identify with them and, and, you know, they're going to triumph and save the world. That's a, you know, a more typical fantasy type of narrative here. You have a, a large cast of characters uh, and they're all part of this vast tapestry. And in some ways, it's not like they're doing something revolutionary because it's done in literature all the time, but it's atypical of fantasy. So you go into fantasy with these expectations about there being a hero or at least a, a, even in grimdark fantasy, there's usually a central character. We follow along with this character and, and we identify with this character. Here you have lots of characters and we identify with them in these moments and they become incredibly vivid, but not one of them is going to be saving the universe. You know, there, mm -hmm. there's this all these complex narratives coming together, weaving together into this tapestry. So I think that that's something that maybe throws people a lot of the time too. Is that you read fantasy, you expect a hero, you expect a protagonist, and here it does not. Erickson's doing something different. So in that way, and in many other ways, he 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 enjoys challenging the tropes. Yeah. yeah, and you don't know you're exactly right, mm -hmm. Stacey. That is, that is such an apt comment. Uh, you don't know who you're supposed to root for because because of uh, all of this, uh, you get characters that you feel are, are villainous at first, and then you learn more about them and you kind of understand them. And then the characters who might seem like, oh, these are the heroes, but then you think, oh, wait, they're working for this terrible empire that's, that's killing people. Are they actually the heroes? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's this sort of real life level of complexity here that we're dealing with. And it's, it's literature. It reflects life in that sense and the complexity of, of people. So in that way, I think if you come into it with that expectation, I think it helps uh, a lot. So. Is that what most people struggle with? Do you think is that, or is there something in the, in the writing style itself that some people just have, have to adjust to? You know, I noticed that, um, you know, the, it opens with Ganos uh, Parin, I think, and as a young man, and you know, that's kind of, that is a trope of the young man, you know, going off to war and that kind yeah. of thing. So I focused on that. I kept thinking, okay, I'll see him again. And I did see him again, you know, much later, but, um, uh, but it, it is apparent now that he is not the hero of the story. He is just, it's just like, you know, the window opened there and our window on that world opened there and it just happened to be Ganos. Um, and so I think uh, in a way that's helpful to Hook, but at the same time, I think that makes it confusing because for a while you keep waiting for him to come back and then eventually you know, we, we see a broader, a wider world. 
Yeah. So. I think there was that one line, that one line that he says, and it comes up again. And I had to highlight it. He goes, um, who was it? Uh, somebody said to him, the best life is the one the gods don't notice. Uh, and yeah. I was just like, I, I feel like that's going to come up again. And it did. And it kept coming up again because he was just so upset about having to be put in these positions. <laughs> He's like, why me? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. But I, I really like that line because I, That's I was what like, that. yes. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I thought Philip okay. was going to say something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not, uh, not sure what's going on with the internet here. Oh, you, you're you coming in okay, if you can hear us. Okay. Did I disappear or did everyone else or did we all? I don't know what happened there. <laughs> oh, we were but, here. But anyway, I was still here. Okay. <laughs> It was just me then. Sorry. Uh, so I just want to react to what you were saying uh, because Whiskey Jack says that it's apparent yeah, in the prologue. Jack. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, but that's something that reverberates throughout the story. And, and that's another thing that Erickson does. You just sort of look for these little things. There's a lot of foreshadowing uh, that things that just sort of fall into place. So yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. Um, and don't believe a thing that Ruth and Bad says either, because who, who would trust somebody with a name like Ruth and Bad anyway, right? <laughs> Quick Ben is the real hero of everything. Oh, Quick yeah. Ben is fun. <laughs> and speaking of the beginning, I, I love the the battle at Moonspawn. That was such a different type of combat or actions. It was a different type of action scene that I, I don't think I've read before in fantasy, not like this, but it was really on a grand scale and not, you know, it was just, it felt epic with not a lot of, not a lot of, um, you know, not, a, it didn't take up a lot of space on the page, but it was, it felt epic in scale in the moment. Mm -hmm. It was definitely different for sure. Like with all these different players in different parts of like the field or even just seeing um, like the aftermath of it with, um, Hair, hair, what's his name? Hairlock. Oh, there's Hairlock. so many characters. <laughs> Hairlock, right? And I knew Hairlock was going to be one of those mischievous characters, like just from his way of like cheating death in those moments. Um, I, I don't know if we're doing spoilers or anything. <laughs> um, but Hairlock and his, um, like he's like cut in half and he's, you know, on the field and stuff. Um, I, I really thought he was going to be one of those mischievous characters, but even like just the aftermath of like Tattersail, like screaming and, and all like you feel the pain that everyone is kind of going through afterwards. And I don't think that we see that a lot. Um, just everyone kind of feeling those, um, those moments of like looking at the the destruction and like what to do with the bodies and all that. Like, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned yeah. Hairlock. He was, he's one of my, um, I guess, favorites uh, in a way. I, at the end, you know, maybe not his end, I'm not sure. But he, um, you know, I found some humor in his situation. He, you know, it's, I don't know if I was supposed to find humor, but he, um, he's seeking Im immortality. Um, but yet he's trapped in this box and he's trapped in this body and um just furious uh, and so powerful yet um 
yet uh, so boxed in at the same time, literally, you know, and, um, and I don't know, I found some of it humorous. I don't know if that was intended to be, but <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, he's a favorite. And sorry is a favorite too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the great things about the Battle of the Pale is that not uh, not all allies are friends or trust each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I really like that, and that also made me think: is somebody just being paranoid here, or if this is actually going on? And I liked Steve. You, you mentioned that it felt very epic. Normally, I'm not somebody who likes military fantasy, but here, even though it was epic, you still focused on some of the characters, and it was really a device to make you know those characters more and make them more distinct, which I really enjoyed. Um, because just from that first moment, you already meet quite a few of those characters, but for me, it wasn't difficult to distinguish them, which normally I, I can't do that. So I, I really like that part. Um, I do hope that it's not going to be more military fantasy focused in like military tactics, because I'm not the best at that. But judging from the first book, I hope that I will be fine. <laughs> Philip's face said it all. <laughs> well, I, I will say that there's plenty of more military fantasy in the series, but there's also, I know people who love mili military fantasy and that's their favorite aspect of the, the Malazan Book of the Fallen. And then I know people who cannot stand military fantasy, but still love the series because it offers so much more than that. Um, and uh, like uh, Layla was saying about Hairlock, it is funny and there's a lot of humor in the series. There is a lot of pathos in the series. Erickson has incredible range where he can be, he can reach high tragedy, but he also can do some really, you know, crazy comedy at the same time. And he, he mixes all this. That's why, uh, I mean, a lot of times you'll hear people compare it to, to like Shakespeare or something, because you get that in a Shakespeare play as well. You get all kinds of levels going on simultaneously. Uh, so there's plenty in there that's not military fantasy as well, but there's a lot of military fantasy to come. Uh, so <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> well, and that's uh, like watching all the reviews and discussions. I'll, I, I kind of was thinking to myself, like, I don't know if I'm the only one, but like, because everybody, you know, loves to talk about like this, the serious parts of the book and the emotional parts of the book. But like my favorite character is Krupa and Hairlock, and Hairlock was was awesome. I, I mean, I think Erickson does awesome like comedy and and you know and ways to lighten certain scenes up. I think he's excellent at that. Mm -hmm. Krupa yeah. was great. <laughs> I started talking about like in his style for like a day just because I thought it was oh, no. just too funny. Like Percy <laughs> likes. <laughs> Ursi, thanks. <laughs> Ruthen says, nice, nice observation. Malazan is a great example of mil military fantasy that captures the epic scope, but without ever losing sight of the individuals on the ground. Very mm -hmm. true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You can listen to him on that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, so, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say something else about Krupa. Um, he he is such an interesting character because the when we first become aware of him, um, I'm thinking, how is he surviving in this rough world? Because he seems so just um, not taking the world too seriously. But then, uh, you know, so much more I won't go into about it. 
I guess for spoilers, but definitely that's a front um, for yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Are we doing spoilers? We we are, right? Or, or are we yeah. waiting? Uh, yeah. Proud as the moon is all you can spoil everything. Yeah. Oh, okay. Spoil it. Yeah. Okay. No Great. Yeah, because I, I totally agree with Layla about Krupp and how mm -hmm. he puts up a front. And that's a very clever thing because he's actually much more power. He's the eel of Darujistan. Mm -hmm. He has incredible power. Uh, and yeah. he is clever enough to hide that from people. And no one knows his actual role. He's kind of very slippery, you know, behind the scenes. And, and he appears, you know, very non-threatening and, and sweaty and ridiculous and, and always stuffing himself with pastries. And, and, and he's very subtle, like he's walking down the street and, and waving his hands around and, and stealing things and putting them up his sleeve. And, you know, he's just sort of this, he's this walking, uh, comedic, uh, absolutely mind-blowing, powerful character. So yeah, that's it's a it's a, he's, and it, and a lot of fun. I absolutely love the character as well. And he kind of has a a meta purpose as well, you know, in his dream parts where he's a little bit outside the story, kind of looking in, and he can manipulate things and he can do things in that little dream warren of his uh, that are actually kind of scary, powerful too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Crumpa and the Truth have been lifelong friends. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Said with a little bit of irony there. Yeah. Well, I think he was going to complain about the hill, the, the inn being on top of the hill. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to tell the innkeeper, you shouldn't put it on top of the hill. What's wrong with him? <laughs> I was just like, that's great. <laughs> so what is, uh, what is everyone's favorite characters? I think it's a couple of you. It's a crop. Crap already, but what's what's everyone's favorite or most in the character they're most intrigued by? In Gardens of the Moon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I would say sorry. Sorry, Absalar. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I just felt I loved the name. I mean the name sorry. It just conveyed so much about her situation. Uh even when I didn't know as much about her, you know, in the beginning. And then her choosing uh, the name Absalar, hmm. uh, which Crocus did not seem to like too much, but um, it seemed to be choosing a name of power. And so, um, you know, we'll probably see her again at some point. I mean, that, that's such a rich character. This can't be the only book that we find her in. So crossing my fingers that that's the case. Yeah. I liked um I liked a lot of people. <laughs> um I liked sorry a lot for mainly a lot of the same reasons you said Leila. Um but I also really liked Lauren and her and the power that she kind of holds like like a reserved power. Like she knows she's going to have this authority over all these people and they're going to do what she says because she, that's her position. She's right under the empress. Um even though, again, it's really hard to root for her because you're in the, you're part of this empire, right? And that's trying to take over. I just think of like Star Wars, right? So, <laughs> like, it's like you're rooting for Darth Vader. Like, what? <laughs> um, it, it, it was really hard to root for her, but I, I still really liked her character and I was really excited to get her perspective a lot of the time. Um, just because I, I don't know, like I, I think it was just like that reserved quality of her of just like knowing that she 
um, has this authority over all these men um, mm. a lot of the time. And they're, they're kind of confused as to like, why, why am I going to be listening to her? But I have to do it anyways, because she's got mm. all these bodyguards and all these people behind her. Um, so yeah, I, I just really liked your character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I also really liked when you have the standoff almost between Lauren and Tattersail. And you can see that um, she has some personal feelings towards Tattersail, to say the least. Mm-hmm. But then she remembers, I need to be the voice of the Empress. And she completely mm-hmm. shifts. So I thought that that was interesting to see. Um, but I do think that my favorite character was actually Tattersail. And I think we can definitely see more of her. Hi, Stacey. Hi, I finally got my computer working. Yay. <laughs> oh, yeah, Tattersail was fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> because now they, they are saying something of a seer. Um, on the far west or east, somewhere far away. And I want to see if maybe Tattersail is coming back to play something related to that because she's very powerful as well. And now she's a child, but she's already six years old. So there's definitely not really a linear timeline here. So I would like to see if something happens there. And I also like that she is um, a bigger lady, but it's not really focused on. You just know that she is, and she's not like the, the comedic relief almost, which you often see. Um, So I really liked her character in that regard as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one thing I think Erickson has done really well is with Animator Rake is he's supposed to be this, this, you know, epic character from the beginning. Everyone, you know, talks about him or is afraid of him or super respects him. But um, in a lot of books, when you have a character that's set up like that, once you get into the character, it doesn't it doesn't feel at like what you expect or what you hope. But I think he actually has through his dialogue, I think he has some of the best development uh, through this first book at least. Because some of the characters, they are who they are kind of through the whole book. You just kind of know them and they're kind of the same character at the end of the book. But I think you you get more of him and he kind of releases more of what's on the inside of him throughout the book, uh, which made me, you know, once he gets to do the epic stuff that he gets to do towards the end, you know, you're kind of, he's almost the hero to, to, at least to me, you know, once he gets to kind of go do his thing, because we're all like, well, who's the hero? And I almost, you know, would say it's him, you know, mm-hmm. the way he makes you, Erickson makes you feel about him. <laughs> This comment made me laugh. <laughs> Wait. Uh, is a scarlet. I don't know if Stacy knows what we're doing. We're, we're talking about our, our favorite characters from the book, Stacy. So uh, if you want to go ahead and tell us yours. Um, I liked them all, um, but I think my favorite is Tool. And I really ah. hope we see more. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. But I liked yeah. Tattersell. I was really upset when when I thought she was dead <laughs> and then she came back and I'm kind of like what's going on like Yoli was saying is like she's she aged to six years old overnight it's like what is she does she or does she not have her memories we don't know the reader doesn't know what's going on she seems to to remember Perrin Captain Perrin um I a uh, quick Ben there's more than meets the eye there I want to know more about quick Ben I just I loved <laughs> all the characters, even the ones that I 
at first thought we're like you're saying we're supposed to be the bad guys and this like you know lauren was probably the closest thing to the villain of this story and even then you know you you don't really know what to think about her so i i think that this is probably one of the best um military fantasy books that has such incredible character development you know some a lot of times when you read something that's epic um, military and, and this wasn't like a bunch of battles but it was very much militaristic but you you get what's going on military wise through the eyes of the characters instead of you know this overarching view from the sky of these two armies coming together and I think that was one of the things that I that I had hoped would would have been more in the John Gwynn um, books, which is the reason why you know I didn't really go on past Malice. But um, this did it really well. And I think it's because you've dropped into it. You don't know what's going on. You're getting what's happening in the world through the eyes of the characters. So they're like your conduit to what's happening. And so you kind of build you know, a connection to each character as you go through. So the hardest thing for me was every time it would switch per, uh, POVs is, is this the good guys? Are these the ones that I want to win? And then it would switch. It's like, oh, but I like these people. And then you'd get the assassins. You're like, I know they're assassins, but I really like them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you all said such wonderful things. Uh, I I feel like every time one of you gave an answer, I I would think, oh, yeah, that's my favorite character. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but but I absolutely agree with you guys. Uh, There's a a wonderful thing I think thread here that from your descriptions of your characters that emerges. And I think maybe Lauren is the one that haunts me the most from mm-hmm. Gardens of the Moon. And although I love uh, Absalar's arc, which I, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say she does appear again. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but Lauren's the one that haunts me the most because I felt that there was the potential there for her to do the right thing. And, and, and she ends up doing what she, she feels like she's part of this vast empire. She is literally the adjunct of the Empress. She is the Empress's will. She is the arm of the Empress. And so she's really not supposed to have any, any will of her own. She's there to enforce, to do what is best for the empire which isn't always very nice. It, it ends up crushing people. It's like we're all these little cogs in this vast wheel. And, and she feels very much like that. I think that speaks a lot to the modern condition, actually, uh, and the, the role of, of larger things like empires. And they roll over people, and, and they can be incredibly indifferent to our individual fates. Uh, so Lauren feels very caught up in that, I think. And there are moments when her humanity almost comes out. That dinner scene where things get sort of flipped uh, because uh, Yolene mentions Tattersail and we love Tattersail. We're, you know, she's, she's one of the characters that we identify with and, and she's wonderful. But in that dinner scene, what we learn is that she was responsible for the deaths of, of Lauren's family and that this mm-hmm. is the thing that's haunting Tattersail. And so the things get flipped. Suddenly Lauren's not the villain. Tattersail is here in this particular scene, at least. Or maybe villain isn't the right word, but we 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 learn things about both these characters in this scene, and and we get the sense of empathy for Lauren here. She was a child when this happened to her, and she was taken by the Empress at some point, and and 
we don't know what it entails, but she was made into the adjunct. I, I assume there's some kind of training involved that's not very kind. So mm -hmm. for her to have little hints of her humanity, there when she's near the end, when they're releasing the jagged tyrant and she's with Tool, oh, yeah. and that's happening, she has second thoughts. And I, you know, for her sake, I wish she had sort of stepped back, but she ends up, unfortunately, making the wrong decision, making the decision that is, a, you know, in conformity with her role as the adjunct rather than the humane decision and, and releases this horrible terror on a city full of civilians. Um, so, but she's a tragic character. Her ending in this mm -hmm. is just absolutely, I, I never felt like, you know, yay, you know, she's dead. I, I just, it was more like, uh, this is, this is a real tragic waste of, of a human life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I like the way that Perrin dealt with that too. I mean, he could have left her, you know, there and he, but he took her and he, I just, I thought that was really, cause he was very angry. Right. I mean, he was like, I'm going to get her. He, he was, um, he felt betrayed by her. Felt like he, yeah. he, so, but I don't know. If, I don't know. It, it was, um, mm -hmm. It was different. It was more than what I expected. It kind of showed his humanity, you know. That we all get angry and we're like, "Oh, I could kill him," but if that were ever to happen, this—that's how we would react. That person ended up dying. We would be like, "Oh, you know." So I, I thought that was a very human scene mm -hmm. uh, for him. The way that he uh, reacted to that, and it kind of was like, you know, maybe this isn't what I wanted, but it's too late, you know. But that I just. This is going to be one of those series that I'm going to have to see it through the end because I already am so invested mm -hmm. in the characters. And I, I have to say, I started um, Dead House Gates and I was like, oh, who are these people? <laughs> <It's Risky Jack>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, the series as a whole does kind of, uh, A.P. Canavan, the guy I mentioned in the beginning that I'm reading it along with, has this wonderful metaphor. He compares it to World War II, where you had these different theaters of war. You had stuff going on in Europe. You had stuff going on in Africa. You had stuff going on in Asia. Japan. So that's, that's what, it, yeah. absolutely. So that's what the Malazan mm -hmm. Book of the Fallen does. You have this one theater here on Genabacus, and then you go to Seven Cities, and then you go back to Genabacus, and then you go, and in the fifth <laughs> book, you're to an entirely new continent. So yeah, there are various theaters wow. who gradually come together um, in, in one very powerful narrative by the end. Um, so, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it's a lot. It is, there's a lot going on. It's very ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, I heard that. a lot of reviews, people say that the writing style was so bad in the first book and it gets so much better mm -hmm. by the second. But I didn't see any issue. I didn't have any issues at yeah. all with the writing. I didn't see that it was um, bad writing at all. Now, mm -hmm. I can see how some people might not like the style because you're very much only getting the information that the, the narrator wants you to have, right? You only get the thoughts of the characters at the time that they happen. You don't get them sitting there, unless it's necessary, them pondering, you know, their, their life choices. And, you know, like, for example, Lorne, you don't know her backstory until she comes into contact with Tattersail. And that results in her reaction. And then the narrator explains her reaction. She's not just sitting there thinking about 
her family that died. I loved that. I like that concept. It's it's not something you read a lot in fantasy. Fantasies, it's either info dumping or or um, a first person POV, right? You either get everything or you just get what one character has. And in this case, you don't even get all of the inner dialogue of the characters. You're really just given piecemeal. And so it makes you like read page i have to know more i gotta know more and then it switches to an i gotta know more about this character i gotta know what's going on with these gods who are these gods and why are they involved in what's going on in this world and how are they how are they trapped you know there's so much history also in this world that you only know a little bit about i think that's great but i could see how some people that are used to you know the the ben the the brandon sanderson type fantasy where you get everything you need to know about the world this might be a little bit hard to get into because you're you want to know what's happening. Who are these people? What is this war? Who are their enemies? You don't get that here. Not in the same format anyway. But I'm curious. Um, having Philip, having read, I don't know if anybody else here has read the the rest of the series, but having read, the, do you see any um, validity to that statement? Like, does it get better? Or in what way does it get better if it does? Oh, to the, the idea that the writing was, okay, yeah. So I, first of all, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> I think you said it beautifully. Uh, I think Erickson's writing is uh, among the very best. Uh, just if you're analyzing the prose, if that's what we're talking about, I think he's brilliant. And I haven't, actually, there are very few writers in literature, period, that have that, this kind of range. And when you're, if you're talking about the portrayal of characters, I don't know too many writers who can get me invested in a character that quickly either. And using exactly what you said, it, it, you hear this all the time, but the show don't tell uh, you know, more approach uh, to presenting characters where the reader is sort of not given every little detail that's going on. You have to sort of use your head and, and sort of figure out, oh, okay, this is you know what's, what's going on here. So it invites a certain level of reader participation. It's a less passive experience, I think. And Gardens of the Moon does that. And I think what happens is people sort of aren't used to that and they get thrown into it and they maybe even resent it a little bit. Uh, and so they think this is terrible writing because, uh, you know, um, so I think that reaction happens more with Gardens of the Moon, whereas people get further into the series and they get used to it. So there might be a perception that the writing improves because of that. I don't see a vast difference, honestly, uh, between Gardens of the Moon and the rest of the series. I know that Erickson has said, he has expressed it here and there kind of a, maybe I could have helped the readers along a little more in Gardens of the Moon, and that might have helped. Uh, so he has said that, um, but I, I, I don't think that it's um, in any way, shape, or form uh, terrible writing. It's actually brilliant writing. I don't writing, think so either. Opinion, I thought so. Actually, I agree too. Yeah, and something I noticed, I actually had to, to sit and think about it. Um, right off the bat, I started feeling, I could feel the mood of the world that the characters were in. And then going back to actually look at, you know, even how the book opens, just the choices of words like rust and centuries old and, you know, different terms that immediately... I felt like I was walking into a darker world. I don't mean that in, in a negative way, but as I was reading through all of the book, I, I just felt this weight of, kind of this weight of darkness, I guess, over mm -hmm. everything. 
partly because what the characters were saying, but also how the scenes, the word choices uh, used with the scenes. And I, I do think it's art. I'm just, you know, just thrilled by it. So, um, yeah, so that's my comment on that. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing, I mean, I initially thought that uh, for that uh, Stacey had said people had commented about the writing. I thought they were meaning the prose initially. Um, and no book's perfect, but as far as the prose go, I would put Erickson at the very top of the list. Like, I don't know if anybody, you know, mm -hmm. there, I mean, they're sure there's some people that are probably up there with him, but as far as his prose go, I think they're as good as it possibly gets. I mean, as you just read through it, you're just like, I mean, if I were to try to write something like that, I would, it would take forever because <laughs> I would just have to just, it would be a, a, a you know, a mind melting experience to try to get it to flow the way he does. Um, so, you know, his pros and as far as, I don't know, maybe if people feel like, cause he, he comes from a D and D background, right? So that's where him and Esselmont, you know, that was their big thing, you know, so maybe some people feel like they just walked into a D&D &D, &D campaign that they've been doing for a long time and they're just like, hey, sit down. And you're just like having to kind of grasp where you're at in this situation because he he doesn't hold your hand as much as some other authors will. So yeah. and, and maybe that's because I, I feel at least in the second book, especially, I feel like he dials in more. You know, you, you're not as all over the place, I guess, as you are in Gardens of the Moon. So maybe that's why some people think the writing gets better. But I mean, I think his writing is pretty consistent. His The style and everything is consistent. But he just kind of dials in in the future books, you know, on the fewer and fewer characters. I don't know past book three and four if it gets even more dialed in. But... <laughs> You know, it's funny what Frank, what Frank just, Frank, Frank, I don't know how to, what he, he's saying here. The very first, I guess it's the prologue of Dead House Gates. You, yeah, you read like a whole page and then you're like, oh, okay, this is, I can't even remember the woman's <laughs> name. But I was like, who, who is this person that I'm reading about? Oh, okay. <laughs> but but you guys are. But you guys are absolutely right with like the writing style. Like even though you don't know for like a minute, right? Like whose perspective it is, but the writing style is really great. Um, I think one of my favorite passages is gonna sound funny, but it's like the introduction of Crone, um, the Raven. I think that I even had to stop and like read it to my husband and just be like, look at how he wrote this. And just like, just think of how beautiful, like the imagery of this giant bird and I love birds so maybe that's why but this giant bird just coming down and she's just like having this power over all the other ravens right um I just thought it was just so beautiful the way that he just wrote that and I was just stuck on it because and I read it like a few times over because I just thought it was just brilliant and then, and then I had to stop and be like okay we got this live show coming up I gotta read this book so <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was just so beautiful and like you get stuck on these passages and like just the way that he writes certain things like it's it's just great I just really loved it especially that pa that passage with Crone I, I really love that what about you Yulene did you did you did it take you a little bit to adjust to the writing style for this one the the writing style in, in terms of the prose I actually 
got used to pretty quickly because I, I was also afraid of that because English is not my first language. So I thought if he's going to use a lot of difficult words or the sentences are going to be very long, it will be difficult to get into. But I thought that it flowed quite nicely. So you read it at a natural pace almost immediately. I think that the only thing that I had difficulties with, and that's what Frank said, is that when he changes POV, he doesn't really make it very obvious from the get-go whose POV you are in. So then you have to go back and reread it. And that's why it took me longer to read it, because I just had to reread certain passages because of that. But not because the writing style or the words that he used were difficult or because some of the sentences just didn't flow right. I didn't have that feeling at all. But I must say, for such a big book that it is, and with so many different characters, and I am a very character-driven reader, so often multiple POVs, that's something that's very jarring to me. I thought that the characters are so well-developed that I just continued reading. And I, I think that that's one of the telltales that I know that I like a book, is when I don't start looking at the language, and I'm just reading. And then I have to go back and see what, what, what did he actually wrote, because I'm in the story, and I'm not really nitpicking or trying to find faults almost. And when I start disliking a book, that's when I start doing that. So I, I actually really thought that the story flowed nicely. And I think that um, Philip also mentioned World War One at a certain point. And I thought that, that was interesting because for me, this almost read like a history book. Mm. And but that can be, for me, also jarring because I like reading from first person POVs where they're really yeah. in the person's head. That's not the case here, but you still felt like you were with the characters because like what Stacey said, you get to know more about them from the narrator's point of view as well. And that's why you keep being engaged because your perspective of these people, it, it changes. In the beginning, Warren is a terrible human being, but then you understand that she has trauma and that she suffered. And you're, it, it just changes everything that you think about certain people like that sale as well. You, you see that she made mistakes. Um, I also asked a question actually on, on Mike's Discord if people thought that this was grim dark, because it's it's not like Mark Lawrence or something like that. But I felt like almost all of the characters here were morally gray, and there was no right and wrong. And this is a very dark world, so it almost felt grim dark slash very realistic to me in a very dark world. But I would like to see how this gets explored further. It's a great point, Yulin, because when I, as I was reading this, I thought this is a lot darker than I was expecting. That I would, I would, if it's in the grim dark category. But no one can agree what grim dark means. But so, but yeah, anyway. it's, it's not that horrible things are happening here, or that you have very gruesome scenes. I haven't seen any, you know, very torturesque scenes here yet. But just the characters in itself, they feel very morally gray. But then, at the other hand, that's also very realistic, especially in a military setting. You're not going to have somebody who's, you know completely without blame. True. Hmm. Yeah, That's on the point. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I thought the same thing when I was reading it because, um, but for a different reason, it just seemed like um, Erickson kept us in the dark parts of the world. And when I say that, I mean, even when you went to Darugistan from Pale, you only saw the dark parts of Darugistan. You mm -hmm. saw the Assassin's Guild, the thieves, you saw the corruption and the politics, you know, you, you hung out a lot in a dark pub. You never really saw the happy-go-lucky people, even when at the end, when you're going through the festival, the only time you see the people gathering and enjoying is when um, Anna Minna Rake is like, get off the road, you're going to all blow up. <laughs> so so 
um, it, it wasn't even just that the characters were dark, but he, the, you know, Erickson kept you in the very dark parts of, you know, mm -hmm. the settings were always the, the darker, more grim parts of the world. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, the way I think of it as, um, and by the way, I like Grimdark. Uh, so <laughs> this is not a criticism at all of, of Grimdark. Um, there, Mark Lawrence's uh, Broken Empire trilogy is one of my favorites. I love Joe Abercrombie. Uh, so there are plenty of great things to love about Grimdark. But I, I don't actually think of Malazan as Grimdark. Um, and even though there's a lot of suffering in there, there's a lot of pain, and that, that is a reflection of, of the world we're in. There's a lot of suffering and loss and, and pain. But ultimately, it's a series that, and it may become more evident more after Gardens of the Moon, um, but it is a series that people say this all the time, but I think it's worth repeating. It's about compassion. And you will see this more and more. You will see this uh, become, there are, there are moments of connection where for me, Grimdark it tends to emphasize our alienation and a sense of meaninglessness all around us. And then we're just sort of fighting to, to carve meaning out of this uh, essentially bleak world. And there is bleakness in, in the Malazan Book of the Fallen. Absolutely. There's some real suffering. I mean, you haven't seen anything really yet. <laughs> uh, there's really awful stuff that happens in the series. Um, so it, it, and it can be really hard at times, but there are these moments of incredible humor, incredible pathos and connection. For me, the, the craziest thing that happens in these series is something that happens to us in real life when we connect with another person, when we have that sense of, of empathy that sort of leaps out in a moment when you feel, it could be when you're talking with somebody or when you do something an act of kindness for someone. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. You have this incredible energy that happens between you and it feels so uplifting and it feels so cleansing. And the Malazan Book of the Fallen is all about that. It, it does that. It, it absolutely, it, I can't think of a single series that makes me cry more. And it's not in the moments of bleakness and sorrow and suffering where I cry. It's in those moments of incredible connection. It's in those moments when characters who you would think were, were just at each other's throats, but suddenly see each other's humanity. And there's mm -hmm. this incredible empathy that leaps out between them and, and between them and me, the reader. And I find that so transformative and so beautiful. And that's why this series is for me, it's so sublime. And, and so I don't think of it as grimdark. Not that I think grimdark is a bad thing, but I think that it's ultimately more uplifting and affirmative uh, than I typically think of grimdark as being. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think maybe uh, as far as because I, I, you know, like Steve said, like nobody can agree on what exactly grimdark is. <laughs> um, this is definitely. I mean, this is definitely dark fantasy. There's, you know, that's that's for sure. Um, but it might be that, like, I don't. Uh, it is weird how how to describe it. I mean, maybe it's a uh, like the temperature of or how you how the feeling going through the entire book never really changes it's it, you no matter what even if they're joking you still maybe it's because that those type of things don't go on long enough that you it all it all you know it feels very uh, i don't know i don't know you you're very uh, cold through the whole thing you know 
Um, even may, maybe a little bit changes in the later books when you get some more up, uplifting things, but you never feel like you're uplifted in in the book. You're always kind of cold through the whole through the whole thing, you know. But I don't know. It it definitely doesn't go all the way to grim grim dark, you know, as some other people, uh, other authors take it. Mm -hmm. So what Philip said kind of reminds me of my feelings of reading Lord of the Rings for the first time. And mm -hmm. I think the reason why those moments are so powerful is because of what the characters go through. And they had to go through some really awful things. So yeah. you feel um, when, when they um, achieve their goal or there's a moment between characters, it's that much more powerful. And that's what I felt in Gardens of the Moon. When you had those moments you have compassion, for example, what I said about Perrin and, and how he didn't leave Lauren in the street. Um, yeah. And another example of Perrin is when he finds Cole um, in the plains yeah. and he doesn't, he, he helps him get back. Now he had his, his reasons for wanting Cole to, to take him into the city, but it, it also came from a place of compassion. He didn't want to leave him. And he, and he could have, you know, insisted they go right away, but he said, you know, I think you need another day to rest those moments are very important the whole relationship between the bridge burners and and then you know so i agree but it it makes it more powerful because of the darkness that surrounds them that when they do that you know it's it's brighter light but i also enjoy the levity as you were saying there's a lot of humor in here i think that there the levity in the story really is is so much fun because it mm -hmm. makes the character seem a little bit more human um, one of the, there's two moments that come to mind when I think of it. One of the moments was when Fiddler and, oh, I can't remember the other, um, saboteur that's a, that when they're playing cards with the, the kind of like tarot deck and they're, <laughs> they're playing cards with that. That was so funny. And then also when, when Kreppa, um, you know, he, ha he has this whole like mask, this personality that he puts on when he's around people and that there's a moment where something happens and he's so shocked by it. He drops that mask for a minute and the people right. around him go, man, he must be really drunk when he's actually talking more coherently. <laughs> <laughs> or how about Anamanda Riggs showing up to the FET with a, with a dragon mask on? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Krupp having a, a cherub mask. I mean, yes. could it be more obvious what you're doing there? <laughs> so as far as like the compassion for, you know, for all the different people, I also we're seeing a lot of these moments where people were feeling that way towards the animals that we're seeing here. Like oh, yeah. in the beginning where um, in Itko Khan, right, with the horses, I was really stuck on that because I think there was one scene where he says, um, what was it? Like he looked at the people that were laid out dead and this madness, this kind of mad smile that this one corpse had. And then he looked at the horse and it had like this fear. And I just, I was really stuck on that because it was, it was like this innocence that these animals are kind of going through or even like the hounds, how they were kind of enslaved and he like freed it at the end. Who was it? Um, Crocus or was it? I, I get so confused now, but this compassion towards these animals that, probably don't have anything to do with what's going on or even like the ravens like they're just trying to eat right <laughs> but we have this this um negative perception of them because they're eating dead people right but 
or, or who was it, Hairlock, like shooting these ravens out of the sky, right? And, and you just have these feelings towards these animals, especially like, I think for me, like the horses, like they, they're not in this war, they're just kind of put there. And, and I just, I just kept feeling so bad for them, um, just seeing how helpless they are in these situations and how the people, like these main characters are like looking at them. Um, I was just really stuck on that a lot. Uh, reading Rainbow, which is the best, <laughs> I love that username. Uh, the Demon yep. Pearl, the standout moment in Gardens of the Moon for compassion. Mm-hmm. Remind yeah. me again, because I feel stupid. I don't remember this person. Do you pity me? <laughs> so, so yeah, he's the one that uh, um, is uh, on the roofs of Darugistan during the assassin fights and all that. Is is summoned? Oh. Or, yeah, and and he he dies in defense of is it Colum? Um, I think at that moment who uh, Quick Ben has given him this thing to throw and then the, that brings out the demon and then Pearl defends him and he knows he's going to die. Uh, it, do I have that right, everyone? Because it's been a year or more since I read it. So that's, that's what I think. And I, I agree because you, and just like Ersi was saying, there's an environmental aspect to this series as well mm-hmm. and, and then sort of the compassion doesn't stop at humanity. It really is. There's a lot of, of about animals and all our fellow creatures and that, that sense of connection mm-hmm. I was talking about isn't just between people. It's between all of life. It's, it's all of life that uh, our, mm-hmm. our connection to the cosmos. And, and so absolutely. And the fact that Pearl is a demon doesn't make me feel any less sorry for, for Pearl in that moment. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I would say on my, uh, on my read through, that was a moment that I was waiting for again, like that, because there's a lot of stuff that goes on. So again, that's the reason why I reread it, so I could brush up. But that was a moment that stuck with me, you know, um, because the real the reason that he he did that, at least in my mind, was to let you know how strong the other side is, because he tells you like, oh. Pearl could level a city if, if, if they wanted to. And so he uses that to show you how strong the other side is by showing that they can kill Pearl. But then he went deeper into the emotions of, of Pearl and kind of, you know, instead of just being like, oh, this is a really strong character that, you know, the other side's stronger than you think and then running away, he lets you stay there for a moment and give the character some depth. Yeah, that's a good observation. That brings up a question. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead, Layla. Well, that brings up a question I had about Pearl and uh, not not just Pearl, but the the demon world, I guess. Um, in regard to that, would be a spiritual death, not a fear, uh, not just a physical death. Hmm. Is that am I understanding that correctly? So the the power that Pearl was facing it was not just a physical power, but something something on the magical spiritual plane. Is that when I say that? I agree. That, I think so. I, I don't remember specifically. You probably are right. Um, there are lots of ways. This series talks a lot about dying and and death, and and sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
you know, there, there are characters who you've already kind of seen here that can have more than one soul inhabiting one body. <laughs> like sorry right. for example you know sorry contains the, the the young woman's original soul but also has uh, rigoli you know we learn is, has been in there protecting her from the uh the trauma of, of what she's been doing as a uh a, a, a slave of uh cotillion essentially as as his vessel um so he's so and cotillion is in there as well so there are three souls in one body here and and there are different ways that characters can die and then there are there's, you know, death. So, and, and sometimes you think a character might be gone, but then there are ways in which they can come back. Um, yeah. So that's something to look out for, I guess. But then there's really, really gone. Uh, and then maybe that's what happens to Pearl in that moment. And, and there's no possibility of coming back from that. I, I don't remember specifically, but it sounds like you're right to me. Okay. And someone in the chat mentioned spiritual enslavement. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course. Okay. So Frank mentions a Dragnapur, uh, which is a whole, it was Pearl killed by, oh, huh. Now, now I'm, I'm wondering how much of this I remember. Okay. I don't even uh, remember. And I just read it. <laughs> so much. Case, then, then going into Dragnapur is a, is a, is a totally uh, different level of what happens to you after you die. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah. So. Cool. Yeah, one so thing I don't talking know... about. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, and we're, Ursi brought up the creatures of this world, and we're talking about, you know, the demons and their gods. There are just, there's so many cool things that, that are in this world. I'm really excited to continue to read. You've mm -hmm. got dragons, you've got giant oh, ravens, yeah. you've got those like insect like flying things. I can't remember the name yeah. of the people that ride them. The Moron. Yeah, there's just so many things, and then and then that's not even the spiritual aspects of it with the with the gods and the things that live in the warrens, and it's just so cool. Yeah, so we have confirmation in the chat, and of course that's right because this comes up later. Uh, Pearl was killed by Dragnapur, which is a fate worse than death, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, you'll you'll find out more about that mm, a lot later in the series, but remember Pearl, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, and one thing, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was just me and maybe it was explained in there, but then I've, I, I've lost it in all the other information, try to retain all the other information. But when they explain, like, there's a bunch of different gods and, and so, like, sometimes they explain that the gods are worshipped and, ma and maybe that's how they get their, their power. But then also they were talking about moon spawn and, and people look up at the moon. So I, at one point I was thinking to myself, is this a separate planet that just moves, a, moves around? Is that where he's from? So is he basically an alien and he's just a... His people are just more powerful or is he an actual guy that's a city that just kind of floats and goes wherever he wants to go? So a little bit, I was kind of confused on like certain aspects on that. I'm like, am I the only one that was kind of confused about that? Yeah. So, uh, to to answer that um, about moonspawn, it's more mountain sized than than planet sized. I think is is one way to put it. <laughs> it's big. It's a, like a city sized, huge mountain mountainous rock that floats. Uh, so, and there is there is a kind of I can't say much about it yet, but you'll you'll 
get more insight into how that had that what that is exactly later in the series. Uh, but in terms of the gods, uh, you you do have the elder gods like Kroll. You met Kroll, uh, sort of mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. and then you have younger gods uh, like uh, mm -hmm. uh, Throne or Amenas and uh, Cotillion. And so these are more recently they they were at one time humans who uh, it's called ascension. So when they ascend, they become gods, and that happened many different ways. But worship is is one of the components there. Uh, but it usually has to do with just leveling up in terms of power and, and finding different paths to power until you get to this place where you have enough power to ascend. Um, but to become a true God, there has to be an element of worship as well. Um, so it, it's complicated. In other words, <laughs> lots of ways that it can happen. But yeah, so elder gods and then the ascendants are, are later gods. So I, I know a lot of us had, you know, there's portions that we didn't quite understand. So I thought it might be good to set aside a little bit of time for any of you to ask if you were confused by something specifically now that we have people who can help us <laughs> through it. So does anyone have anything that they were, that they were struggling with or curious about? I, I did. Um, I, I, what I found interesting was, and I think we've alluded to some of this of how um, complex the scenarios can be, but um, Colum and Quickbin helped um, Hairlock achieve his new status, mm -hmm. um, but then kind of let him go, and he was stored with Tattersail, who he ended up killing, if I remember correctly. Maybe I maybe I mi misunderstood that, but I just I guess I was trying to understand their original motivation for helping Hairlock, and then what I understood was sort of turning him loose to you know wreak havoc. Yeah. yeah. So there there is some inner politics going on, and the bridge burners which were a, a, a revered unit uh, or, or a group of soldiers within the Malazan Empire has fallen out of favor with Lysine. This has a lot to do with Lysine taking over and trying to remove any elements that might be a threat to her, any old guard elements that would be more loyal to uh, the, the previous emperor and his right-hand man, uh, so Kellenved mm -hmm. uh, and Dancer. Um, and so that's part of this is that she's trying to remove the bridge burners because they're a possible threat. And so Quick Ben and, uh, and others are trying to keep ahead of her. And uh, that uh, the, the whole making of him into a puppet, of course, is, is part of the, those inner politics, I guess, is that's part of it. Uh, Hairlock. And, but he, he gets his own ideas because he's ambitious and he mm -hmm. wants power himself. Uh, so he ends up doing his own thing. And, uh, and so Quick Ben has uh, trying to use him and he's trying to use Quick Ben. There's a lot of, you know, the using each other going on here. But the, the context is that there are elements within the Malazan Empire that Lassine is trying to purge because they, they're a perceived threat to her power, uh, including the bridge burners, which is why some people think they were wiped out at Pale, uh, that they were not entirely wiped out, but they were, a lot of them were buried underneath all of that rubble 
after uh, Teishren unleashes all that power. Um, so yeah, exactly, because Teishren is perceived as a an agent of Lassine, uh, as uh, as being loyal to Lassine. And so yes, Hairlock going through chaos is is a way of avoiding uh, being detected by Teishren. Um, and so they're they're basically trying to figure out what's going on and trying to use Hairlock to help them. But he gets his own ideas uh, because mm -hmm. he's ambitious. So I don't know if that, oh, that does that help you, Layla? It does because toward the end of Hairlock, I was you know I was trying to figure out was this the intended plan? I mean to let him do what he did and then ultimately gets destroyed or self-destructed. So that, that helps a lot. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And uh, by the way, Tattersail is, is actually not killed by Hairlock. Tattersail is killed in a confrontation uh, with Bellardan Skullcrusher, the other big, you know, um, mage. Oh, right. He's, he's a high mage. Yeah. And so that, that it produces a, a huge explosion of, of magic that results in, um, well, you'll see what it results in eventually, but uh, you, you get a hint of where that's going, uh, what happens to Tattersail in that moment. Um, so I don't want to say too much about that, um, but yeah. No, okay. That's helpful. I'll reread yeah. that. That that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, that'll be important a, a little bit later as well. That that scene where Tattersail and Bellardon are encountering each other. And of course he has the remains of Nightchill with him as well. Nightchill was the other high mage who was killed at Pale by Tayshren. She was ripped mm -hmm. apart by Tayshren's demons uh, there. Uh, and she and Bellardan were, were lovers. Um, so and he's mm -hmm. kind of in mourning for her at this moment. Uh, so that's, that's sort of important, uh, but you'll see. <laughs> so you brought that up and I wanted, that's one of the things I had forgotten that I was confused about. When that whole thing happens, you get the impression that Tattersall has a plan. I mean, she wasn't just going to kill herself. She had a plan. Did she put her soul inside the remains of, I can't remember the other mage you were just talking about. Uh, oh, Nightchill. Nightchill. Uh -huh. Is that how she got, she escaped? Because so they found two bodies. And so they were right. convinced she was dead. But she didn't die because she ended up you know, with Krupa and the, um, the Ravi. Yeah. Yes. The, the, so. the Ravi woman. Uh, yes. So, uh, I mentioned before about how you can have more than one soul in, in, in one body. Um, and this is going to be one of those things. Uh, <laughs> okay. so what happened there wasn't so much, it wasn't deliberate. Um, it, 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 uh, you're, you're on the right track, but it wasn't a plan. Let's put it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, but the, the, what happens in, in Krupp's dream Warren, um, is, uh, made possible by several elements. One is Krupp himself. The other is the Amas, uh, the, uh, bone caster. Um, and then there is the Revi woman who becomes the vessel, uh, for this, this, uh, a baby, um, that is born out of this, um, tragic scenario after uh, Tattersail and Bellardan encounter each other with Nightchill's corpse in the mix. Um, so uh, <laughs> you'll you'll find out what what uh, results from all that later in the series. Oh, it's so interesting. Where does he yeah. get this stuff? His ideas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just he goes for it here. He really goes for it. Um, so yeah. 
And uh, Kirsty, do you have anything that you're confused about? Yeah, I I was very confused about the assess. I guess is that. <laughs> so I was just very confused about the um, assassins' war in the city of Dirujistan, right? I was just very confused about like what was going on and like the politics and the council and the majority and and you know all of that was just I felt like it just kind of flew over my head a lot and I was really trying to like comprehend <laughs> all of that all like everything that was going on, but it was. I felt like it was just too much. Like, like I just, I just didn't get it. Um, what the politics were in the city and what they were trying to achieve with like the assassins and the guild, and then Vulcan comes in and Baruch and all these people. Like, I just, I didn't know what the end goal was for each of these groups, and and I think that's what kind of um, made me really confused um, when we were in the city. Yeah, does anyone else want to take a stab at this, or uh, can I go ahead? Go ahead. <laughs> Steve's like, no. <laughs> All right. So, so Dirigistan, the last, you know, the last independent city in Genebakis, uh, where the Malazans have been taking over, has several factions within it that are sort of in charge. You have the the council with councilors. Um, you know, like uh, Cole used to be one, uh, but you have uh, what's his name who gets killed by um, Ralik Nam at the end? The, um, or yes, thank you, Turban Or. Yes, uh, so he's a counselor as well, and these are aristocrats who think they're in charge, and there are these assassins. <laughs> <you> say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are these assassins there that are used by the aristocrats, to, and there are certain. Um, there's etiquette that they follow in the employment of these assassins. And the assassins themselves have a sort of occasionally turf wars and things like that. Um, but you have um, the main assassins guild that is, is, is ruled by Vorkin. Um, and she is an extremely powerful individual. Um, and so you've got the council, you've got the assassins who are used by the council and, and to sort of get rid of enemies in a certain, you have to follow the rules when you're using an assassin, but um, they're, they're uh, an element of control. But the real power in Darujistan is actually the, uh, the mages like Baruch. Uh, they're more behind the scenes. They're not really uh, known to the, the common citizen uh, at all. They're, they're, they're sort of doing their thing behind the scenes and they allow the council to think that they're in charge. Um, but uh, you, you have this uh, uh, circle of mages, of, of very powerful mages who are, are really kind of pulling strings behind the scene a little, behind the scenes a bit there. And, and Krupp is not actually one of them, but he's also doing something similar. Um, so. Yeah, I think they tried to describe uh, to uh, tell tell you what was going on, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that was wholly on purpose because he thought maybe you would be confused, but he was just like, "You can't topple, you can't topple the government this way, because everyone greases the gears here in a certain way. So if you have to take over, you have to leave most of this intact, or the whole thing falls apart." You know, and I guess. I'm sure Erickson has kind of gotten that from seeing other countries fall and people just try to go in. And if you don't leave certain people in charge or you don't keep certain people around that you don't think should be around, well, they're there for a reason, you know, and it, it would just all tumble to the ground. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Ursi, in addition to this, I don't know if this is part of your question, but in addition to that, there are, you know, the bridge burners are sent there to hire the assassins to take out the mages because the mages are the ones who are truly in charge. And then you have, you have Anamander Rake, who's trying, who's working with the mages and he's, and Shadow Throne also trying to stop that. So what, that's why they're assassinating assassins. So the assassins can't, you know, be hired. It was all confusing to me too, but yeah, I just kept, I've made a lot of notes and I didn't bring any of them with me. But I like every time a new character was added, I would go to the front, you know, and list the characters and I would write what page they came in on so I could go back. <laughs> it's just all these strings. I just th think of that meme from like Always Sunny with Charlie, like all the, <laughs> with all the strings. <laughs> get a wall to the series and just keep track of it that way. And of course, and then not uh, to mention what Lauren is doing with the tyrant. Yep. Oh, yeah. And you have Shadow Throne trying to oppose uh, Lessine's plans in Druidistan as well, which is, you know, um, it's it's just all these elements. And it can be, it, it is deliberately chaotic. And when it's a typical Malazan thing at the end, just to have them all converge. Uh, it's, a, it's a Malazan convergence at the end. And that's what you get. It's just like, what is going on here? And everything's exploding. And there are all these different elements coming together all at once and that that happens in the series a lot and it's usually a lot of fun <laughs> so Boing keeps spinning yeah it does yeah and the Yelena's crimson guard the right? yeah. Yeah. So who is the crimson guard they're like we talked about twice in the whole book yeah so they're the crimson guard, them up. they're they're a group of uh technically mercenaries that are originally from Quontali, which is the same continent that the malazan empire is based in and they are against the Malazan Empire. They've sworn a vow to defeat the Malazan Empire. So they are bitter enemies of the Malazan Empire. And they have been fighting the Malazan Empire in Genabacus along with Anamander Rake and Kaladin Brood. They've, they're in this sort of loose alliance that has been opposing the expansion of the Malazan Empire in Genabacus. So that's, yeah, that's who they are, the, the Crimson Guard. Yeah. Oh. And then the they claw. come up a lot Anybody more in, in the claw in, was? In Sorry? The Claw? Who are they? Oh, so the, the Claw are the Imperial Assassins, and they are loyal mm -hmm. to Lassine. They, they, they do her bidding, and they, she's, she was the head of the Claw before she became the Empress. And so they are the means, one of the primary means by which she achieved power. Uh, so the Claw. Yeah, and they're very, they have assassins, uh, and they have also mage assassin, assassins as well. So they're, they're a pretty that's scary. That's what Lorne is, right? Like she's got the special sword. Like that's yeah, so Lorne is, right? yeah, she's different. So the Otateral sword, uh, Otateral is a substance that defeats magic. You can't use, especially not the Elder Warrens so much, but the, the normal Warrens, you can't use magic around Otateral. So it, it, that, it defeats magic having that sword makes Lawrence uh largely immune to magic uh, so that's what that is and so she's not a claw uh but she is an agent of lacine at the same time though a different agent i guess the claw has a uh head uh whose name is topper and you do meet him in the book as well early on with uh, uh i think he uh, meets with um gano's parent uh, earlier in the book um so 
Oh, I'm going to re rewatch and re-listen to this and take notes. Yeah. And uh, Yulene, was there anything that you were uh, kind of wanted to clear up? Yeah, well, I was wondering a little bit about the traveling through the worms because we have um, Hairlock and when he gets into his puppet body, he's already pretty unhinged. But I felt like when he was traveling through the Chaos Worm that he got more and more unreliable and mm -hmm. up to towards the end where he kills those ravens for no clear reason, or at least not one that I could really tell. And I was wondering, is it because he travels so much through that Warren of Chaos, because that's one that all the others can't really access? Or is it something that happens to all the Warrens if you use too much magic? Does this do something to your mental state? Or is it just because he's in that puppet body? I always thought of them yeah. like magic, like magical wormholes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so Hairlock was not a nice person to begin with. Uh, he mm -hmm. was kind of a malicious individual. But I think you're absolutely right, Yolene, about the influence of him being in chaos and and that just increasing his his uh, tendency toward cruelty uh, and mm -hmm. random cruelty. Uh, so he just, uh, I think that when you, you the Warrens are are kind of complicated. <laughs> So they are, they are both conduits. Mages are essentially themselves conduits to the power that comes from these various warrens. And they are also, they're sources of power, but they're also places you can travel in and through. Um, and so and chaos is sort of outside all the other warrens. It's dangerous. You don't want to mess with chaos um, because of the influence it can have. And if a mage allows too much power to course through them it has really negative consequences on their sanity um and uh, and that happens a few times in the series so so i think you're right about tatters uh, about uh, hairlock becoming more and more unhinged uh, as it goes along he was my favorite character i loved him <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was wanting to know like what everybody thought about the magic and the warrens in general what do you how do you, how are you thinking of them in your head? And I, I, she was saying like a wormhole. And that's kind of how I pictured them, like looking like the Milky Way opening up in front of your chest or something like that whenever they were doing it. But they, they like you, you could, sometimes you could travel through them and, you know. That's kind of what yeah. I had in mind too. Yeah, like a portal. I think my main impression right now is that they're a repository of power, possibly mm -hmm. uh, fueled by a particular god, but I'm not yes. quite there. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's okay. kind of what I was thinking, because I know they do that, like, the Marvel does that a lot, where you have certain things that you can use, and they're powered by some god in a different realm. Yeah, you know, so I, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you get you get more and more sense of what they are as you get through a series, but you never are quite sure. <laughs> the Warrens and also the deck of dragons, which you mentioned, some people mentioned earlier, the tarot deck. Um, you never really really know how that works exactly, and there is an element of chaos to it um, and, and unpredictability. Uh, so, and it, it works differently in different hands. Uh, different people use the deck of dragons differently from others. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> Paul. <Paulson. laughs> 
Yeah, there's there's a lot you get to get used to, but that's part of the fun too. I mean, it's a series that allows you to gradually come to understand these things more and more. And yeah. I had the problem when I first read the series of wanting to know it all at once. And I didn't allow myself to just enjoy getting to know all these these quirks and aspects of this world and the way that magic works. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I would just advise anyone, don't do what I did and, and don't try to master it all at once. Just allow yourself to become more and more steeped in it. Um, and and it, it builds and it grows. Like when it comes to the magic, this is the kind of magic style that I actually do enjoy. Um, uh -huh. I have a hard time with like, I might be in the minority in this, but like with Sanderson, like I, I've only read like the Mistborn like once and there's all these rules and I felt like I needed to like take notes <laughs> and like to figure out like what all these things are. And like over here, it's, it's really different because it's some people have magic, some people don't, some people can access things. You know, uh -huh. some people you can give them something and, and it helps them defeat the magic, like with the sword. Um, so I just like this is the kind of stuff where it's a little vague. I think just because I kind of like like magical realism too, like where this unexplained kind of magic that's coming in play. And I, I, I really like the mysterious and the vagueness of it all. But there are some sort of rules too, like you're tainted by the warrens, like the different warrens that you access and stuff um, can influence how um the outcome of whatever you're trying to do right or even like with krupa he's just like and you're you know i'm gonna cast a spell on you to make you forget <laughs> you know like where does his magic come from you know but um it's, it's really vague and um i i kind of like that it's just like just go with the flow you know these these kind of this this magic style in this one um those that's one of the things that, that i like about it yeah I totally agree with Ursi on that because when you don't set all these rules to your magic system, it could really go anywhere. And we see that at the end of Gardens of the Moon with this like acorn that turns, you know, the, the what is it called? The finite? The, yes, finest. Anyway, the finest. And it turns into like this tree monster thingy, which then become, <laughs> is embodied by the spirit of the tyrant. And it's just like, where where does Erickson come up with this stuff? But you can do those things and surprise the reader with all these deep new things because the magic system isn't so hard. It isn't scientific. The reader doesn't know everything and all the possibilities of it. And I thought that was great. Like that whole scene I had to read over again because I was like, okay, the, the tyrant died here, but then its spirit went into here. And then it's like, what, what? Okay. And then they blew it up, but it didn't die. And just yeah yeah you're talking about the azath um so that's another element of the the malazan world that is a um, can confuse people at first but they're essentially they're entities that are pretty inexplicable but they seem to be interested in imbalance of, of power and they will absorb very powerful entities threatening entities like raced and and keep them prisoner um so that is one of, one of the things they do. And you can also travel through them. But if you go inside one, it can be very difficult to get out. Um, so, And the one that, that absorbed the, the tyrant, that became the house that at the, in the epilogue, um, who was it? Was it Crocus that went into the house? Or who was it that went into the house? Uh, it was uh, Ralik Nam, perhaps you're thinking of uh, at the oh, end. Okay, yes. With, with Vorkin, yeah. Yes. Because another function is if you go into an Azath and you're you're terribly wounded, 
it's like time doesn't apply inside the Azath, so you won't die. You you'll um, you'll probably just eventually just kind of heal inside there. Um, so it's a way of saving her life in that moment. Yeah. Okay. There's, yeah, that's so a good much... way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul says a warren is is a is a path to a different realm. Each realm has a specific aspect of magic. You can tap into a warren to sip it, yeah. sip at it or jump right into it, use it to travel. That's my mental definition anyway. Yeah, yeah that's like good. It. Yeah, so like Telon has is fire, right? There's a fire element to Telon. Omtos Falak has ice, right? It's it's a it's a cold Warren. Uh, Rashan is darkness. Uh, you know, um, and there are other one older ones that are shadow Warren. Yeah, well, is this you, in the back read, of the book? <laughs> is it? I, I think there may be. I don't know if it's in Gardens of the Moon, but I think there may be books where it does list the Warrens. Um, and, and, you know, a good resource, if you don't look at things that can be spoilery, is the, the Malazan Wiki, yeah. um, which, which will define all these things as well. Um, so. Yeah, I'm just afraid. I'm afraid that it's going to spoil me, which yeah. is why I haven't gone in there. You do have to be careful in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to look at the character. What? Oh, I was just saying it was a good resource, especially like putting faces to some of these people, just like the mm -hmm. artwork. Um, it it oh, helped yeah. me a lot. Yeah. Well, I went to look up somebody because I was like, who was this person again? And they weren't listed in the front of the books. I went to, and it spoiled me for something they do later. And I was like, oh, Oops. so I don't like it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it, but like most of the time when people do magic, they talk about I'm opening my I'm opening up the Warren or my Warren's going to do this or that. But when Krupa does stuff, he just seems he he just like put, put a spell on yeah. the guy or goes to sleep. So I don't know if I'm sure. I mean, Krupa is definitely special, but I don't know if there's something outside of the Warrens that he has or if he, you know, he is something that just projects the power or something. But I don't remember him ever talking about opening up a Warren. I don't yeah, think you're you right. guys either. Yeah. You're right, Joseph. Uh, you should be scared of Krupp because of that. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there are other types of Warren. Yeah, well, there I are other types of magic as well. There, you'll meet a character later on named Bottle who uses an entirely different type of magic. Um, it's more, more um, empathy-based. Or he, uh, more. There's earth magic as well. There are older types of magic. But the main type of magic you're you're, you're going to encounter in the series is the Warrens. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, his finger waving does it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys catch at the end after um, Anamander Rake kills the tyrant? Not the tyrant. Um, uh, that what was that other being? One of the demons. Was the it a jagger, The jagger? No, it wasn't the no. jagger. No. Yeah, because he doesn't fight the jagger tyrant. No, no. he fights. I can't remember. Like Why can I not remember? Well, it's a big demon with a big this. old axe, right? <laughs> yeah, but they, it had a... Anyway, when he kills him, yeah, somebody warren. else yeah. says a warren just died. Was that, was that because of what he did? Huh, I have to look you at that moment. catch that? I don't remember. I don't remember. In the moment when he tweets, he, I, I, if I have you correct, Stacy, it, it, it's the moment when he kills the, the Ghislaine 
uh, demon. Um, and yeah, Frank that's and what I thought too. Have both Galangal. mentioned that. Uh, I don't remember if, how that affects Warrens, but you should know that I think it's it's evident enough that that sword he's wielding, Dragnapur, uh, when he kills something, that soul of that being enters into that sword. That's what happens there, which is why poor Pearl was so distraught when he knew he was going to have to fight Anna Amanda Rake. He's like, oh boy, this is bad. Um, so I, I, is that maybe what you're talking about there? The idea of him entering that particular Warren uh, of, of the sword or I'm not sure. But. No, it's, I mean, it didn't say it was closed. It said it was dead. A Warren just okay. died or Warren was just destroyed, something like that. I'm trying to find it. Because there, like there are the Warrens. I don't want to be spoilery about this, but there are Warrens in the series too that are shattered and broken, and, and these things can happen as well, and, and they can die. Um, so that that is a thing in the series, what you're talking about. Um, I just don't remember well, the specifics. They even kind of say that, that there are Warrens that they that don't exist anymore or that they thought didn't exist anymore i mean they kind of say that in the first book that's right yeah that's mm -hmm. absolutely right yeah so before uh before we wrap up i wanted to thank all of you for reading because i feel a lot better about about the book yeah. now after Same. With all. so i wanted to ask uh so are who's continuing on the series because i'm going to the to the end but who is who's coming with me i guess <laughs> Okay, cool. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, unanimous. And I think we're planning on about six weeks from now. Is that about right? We'll, we'll come up with a date and let everyone know, but it's on our uh, on our forums. If anyone's curious, wants to join in on it, it's anyone's welcome to to join in and chat. So thanks again to all of you for coming by. The, the time just flew by and I lost track. Oh, of yeah. But, yeah. yeah. It was fun. Awesome. It was great so to have you here. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks, guys, for putting up with me here. I um, I really enjoyed hearing your reactions. I thought you all said some really cool things uh, about the characters, and it's so much fun to now I understand because when I was starting this to my reread, how enthusiastic the the Malazan fans can be, and how encouraging they were always have been for me, including some of the people who are in the chat right now. By the way. Um, mm -hmm. It's a really wonderful community to be part of. Um, so I'd like to thank the people in the chat as well. But but thank you all for, you know, putting up with me and <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know it's it's a lot of fun and I can't wait to see what you guys think of uh, Dead House Gates. So of course well, you're of course you're invited to come for uh, for the next meetup for Dead House Gates if you're able to. We'd love to have you so we can pick your brain and you can help <laughs> us along and answer some questions for us. <laughs> I will. I want to say one thing before we. Um, there is a, a brand new channel. Well, they're they're a very small channel called Sevens Book Discussion, and it's a husband and wife. And he's read all of the books. I think he just finished the last one, so he talks her into reading it. And they do one episode for each of the sections of the Gardens of the Moon. It is so much fun to watch her you know, struggle through it and him try to explain things. So I think anybody here, now that you guys have read it, you should go check that those videos out. They're a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Recommendation. Sounds good. What was it called again, Stacey? Sevens, S-E-V-I-N, Sevens Book Discussion. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah. 
and I do, I do have everyone's channels that were to hear today uh, down below, so be sure and check them out if you haven't already. And of course, Joseph has a book, More Than a Vampire. Go check that out as well. All the links are down below. So thanks again, everyone in the chat and everyone for coming by to uh, come on by on stream. It's, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to meet with so many great people. So thank you for spending your time with us. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.